You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of The Hero of the Story. I'm Aaron, and with me, of course, is Brian. Well, hello again. So, Brian, we have been having a good chat over the last couple episodes of the show talking about the core concepts from your new book, Gospel-Centered Kids Ministry. And um, uh, and today, we are going to pick up that conversation with um, kind of the third core uh, element of this. In our first episode, we talked about the the big idea, the central problem that uh, that you're trying to address in the book, which is the which is what is it that's causing people to leave our leave our churches when they when they go to when they go to college, whether it entirely or for a period of time, yeah. um, and sometimes a significant period of time at that. Um, there, of course, being many reasons for that, but ultimately raising the question of is it possible that they're leaving because we haven't adequately shown them Jesus yeah. in all of his beauty? And we dealt, we delved into that a little bit deeper um, in our last episode by talking about what does gospel-centered teaching look like, especially in the kids' ministry space. And, um, and so that addressed things like um, not just what kind of curriculum do we choose or write, um, but what is the you know what is the goal that's coming out of it? How are we pointing people to Christ when we teach? Um, um, because all of our teaching should come back to Christ every time, um, and that leads us to leads us ultimately to the to a, which which we're discussing today, which is the fruit of gospel centered teaching, which is gospel centered transformation. Yeah, so. How would you unpack what you mean by that as our starting point? Yeah, so I think it starts with that transformation, that initial transformation, that moment in history point action of salvation, of conversion, mm-hmm. where, I mean, we, we are telling the kids the gospel. We are showing them Christ. We are teaching them what Christ has done and, and why he did it so that they might trust in Christ and be changed, uh, be transformed in that instantaneous transformation from, from dead to live. Um, from uh, estranged from God to his child adopted in. And so that's the first part of transformation, but it doesn't stop there. And that's mm-hmm. the problem. Usually we stop right there, think that's the point of the gospel. Now we're done with the gospel. Let's put it on the shelf until we're ready to teach that kid how to share the gospel with a friend and evangelize them. Then we bring the gospel back out. But we forget, no, no, no. That kid still needs the gospel desperately day in and day out because that transformation continues in how we're living out the reality of our new identity. See, I, I'm convinced that the best way for us to understand what it looks like to live out our faith is that often what we do is we, when, we're, when we're saved, again, we are changed, we have a new identity. We're, mm-hmm. But we act and live like our old selves that have been put to death. Yeah. And so we try to dig up our old selves out of the grave, we prop it up, and we try to live life like that old propped up dead body neglecting who we truly are in Christ. That's the tension that we experience as believers as we we pursue sin even as believers. Mm-hmm. What we need is we need the power of the gospel to continue changing us so that we do not dig up that dead body and try to live 
it out any longer, but that we are living our new identity in Christ. We're living truly who we are, who he's made us. And that is the change, the gradual change that begins in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And it's got to start there. That's the key. Yeah. It doesn't start with our conduct. We have to start with our heart as the gospel continues to sink deeper into it, as we understand it more beautifully, more fully, and it changes us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, a great example of that really comes from um, the Emmaus Road disciples and their encounter with Jesus, where um, they, they meet Jesus on the road after his resurrection, and they don't recognize him. Um, but they're talking about what's happened over the last couple of days in Jerusalem. And and Jesus says, hey, what's going on? What's up? And, uh, and they're like, are you the only person who doesn't know what's just happened? And so they tell him about, they tell him about Jesus and how they thought he was, maybe he was the, the, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Um, but now he's dead. And a couple of the a couple of the his followers have said, you know, that his tomb is empty. But I mean, could it really be true? Yeah. And then he, you know, then he gently rebukes them, and uh, and and well, he then calls them foolish. So that could be gentle. Yeah, it could be. Uh, <laughs> he may have pat him on the head as he said it, uh, perhaps. But uh, he he rebukes them, and then he and then he proceeds to to show them how all of these things had to happen. He, he um, it says that he um, beginning with Moses and the beginning with the, law, the Moses and the prophets that he um, that he interprets all scripture according to himself, yeah. um, and uh, and and so that's that's significant. So he continues on with them, and he and they they he's about to he's looking like he's going to keep going, and they're like, no no no, stay, hang out with us. Um, and uh, and have dinner. And this is a great and great paraphrase, isn't it? It is. I know. You know. I'm paraphrasing in it's in good. It me- works. in memory of uh, Eugene Peterson. Peterson yeah. Um, but um, the um, and so he comes back and they have dinner and he breaks the he he breaks bread and blesses it and then immediately they see who it is and he disappears as soon as they recognize him and so they're sitting there and they're amazed and they're like what. <laughs> And uh, and then the, and but then they say this incredible thing, yeah. which is, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was when he was when he was talking to us yeah. when he was teaching us these things when he was showing us these things, and that's and and that I think really speaks to that that um, gospel centered transformation yeah. that you're talking about that as we are proclaiming Christ again and again and again and again. Um, that whenever our kids hear it, our, our desire is not that they, that they hear it so much that they get bored of Jesus. No. Because you, I mean, if kids are getting bored hearing about Jesus, that means that we're doing it wrong. Um, we're not telling, we're not telling them about him correctly. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't mean talk about him less. It means talk about him more better. <laughs> um, and, uh, and once again, you get to, you get to hear my good, my gooder English exactly. there, friends. Um, we need to work on that in but the we Canadian forgive you education you are system. Thank you. I am Canadian, eh? Um, oh gosh. You know, they didn't even teach us how to diagram a sentence. <laughs> It's true. It's really rough. Um, <sighs> yeah. So I think I'll, I'll bail you so, out here. Thank Aaron. you. Thank so you. I, but I did have a point to you make. Did. There. It was a good point. Thank yeah, you. Th- that, that's what we're after. We we want our kids, their hearts, to burn within them as they experience the gospel, and that's mm-hmm. an ongoing thing. We we you know as you said, yeah. I think about it this way. 
I never have gotten bored of my wife saying that she loves me. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten bored of my kids saying that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever will. Um, it, it's, it's music to yeah. my ears and my heart whenever I hear it. Well, how can we get bored of the gospel? You know, if, as you said, if, we're, if, we're, if our kids are bored, it's because we're not doing it correctly. Correct. So I think what we need to understand is that is the goal. We want to keep lifting up Christ. We want to keep pointing him toward the beauty of the gospel. We will never exhaust the beauty of the gospel. We will never get down to its its uttermost depths. It is that glorious. It is that marvelous. Uh, I would argue we're just scratching the surface by the time we could we could teach this uh, for a hundred years and still just be scratching the surface. Right. And and I don't know if you've known, but John Piper's come pretty close with he some has of his his sermon series. He, he has uh, very close. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he would probably attest to this if he was sitting here. If he were sitting here, but. So I think this is what we need to keep tracking with in our ministries. This is what we need to encourage our parents to be doing in the home as well as we partner together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, the Emmaus Road Disciples, and, and that's one great passage. A second great passage, I think, on this is the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Um, you know, I really would, I, I believe that the Sermon on the Mount can be kind of in a nutshell said, this is Jesus' teaching and how you can be a disciple, what a disciple looks like. Mm-hmm. And what is interesting to me is is that section in there that is very common, very familiar. You know, when Jesus says, again, my paraphrase, you've heard it say, do not murder. I say, do not hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've heard it say, do not commit adultery. I say, do not lust, and, and, and so forth. Well, think about the murder and hate, for, for example. Murder is an action. That's a conduct. That's a behavior. Yeah. Hate is a posture of the heart. And notice, Jesus is not saying there, it's okay to murder. He's not saying, don't worry about murder. He's saying, don't focus on murder. Focus on your heart. Mm-hmm. Do you have hate in your heart? If that's true, then that's where the fight needs to be fought. Right. That's Start the, there. Yeah, start there. Yeah. Because if you don't have hate in your heart, it's hard to murder somebody. Yeah. If you don't have lust in your heart, it's hard to have an affair. It's hard to have adultery, commit adultery. So Jesus' point there is the internal posture of the heart drives behavior that's where the battles won or lost. That's where you need to focus. Get your heart right because of the gospel. Changing it, your conduct will follow. Right, absolutely. And and a helpful part in that too is is to remember remember the cadence of God's commands in both the Old Testament and yes. in the New Testament. Remember, he doesn't start with, "Hey, go do these things." Even the 10 commandments. Nope. It doesn't start with it doesn't even start with don't commit a commit uh, idolatry. It starts with, I am the Lord, your God who rescued you out of Egypt. It's based on relationship. Yeah. It's, I am, I am the one who saved you. I am the one who, I have done this for you because I have done this because you are mine, because I have called you mine. Do this. And And go, but go back to the, go, going back to the sermon on the Mount real quick. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's fine. Remember that Jesus starts that with the Beatitudes. Yes. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness, on and on and on. And blessed there is not simply, um, you may have heard this this as, you know, blessed equals happy. Yeah. It's not that simple. It's, it's a statement of approval. It's saying that those who are Jesus' disciples, those who Jesus calls his, they're approved by God. Yeah. They are his. 
not and so it's so it's bigger than so it's bigger than that it's not you'll have a happy life as long as you do what i say it's exactly it's you you are mine and because <laughs> of that truth live this way live this out it's the same thing fast forward go forward rather into mm-hmm. the epistles yeah Th- that's the template you see especially the pauline epistles look at look at romans yeah he spends 11 the, chapters talking yeah, about the gospel, the gospel. And, and then, then how do you live yeah and it's there for a reason. It's in that order for a reason. Because this is true, therefore live this way. Right. Not live this way so that this might become true for right. you. It's so instructive we remember that. It's so instructive that we teach our kids that. Absolutely. Now, there is, of course, there, there's a fear that comes with that, mm-hmm. which is passivity. Mm-hmm. So there's such a fear that if we, if we, that we could go too far in application that we forget the gospel moralism and that we fall into moralism that we you know we just tell people what to do the other side of it though is is this that we're so afraid of being moralistic that we just don't tell them anything exactly and so how do we prevent that yeah i, I think the the those are two equal dangers and and i think rightly understood the gospel and passivity are incompatible. Um, and, and you see that, go back to the Emmaus Road disciples. Um, after they talked about their hearts burning, what did they do? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem to report what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you think about it, they ate dinner first. Usually in that culture, you ate dinner later in the evening. So it's, it's almost surely dark by this time. Yeah. And that's a seven-mile hike. Yeah, it's a seven-mile hike. And you didn't you didn't do that at night. It was dangerous. That's when when robbers came out. So it would have been reasonable for had they said, "Look, set your alarm clock first thing in the morning. Let's get up and head straight away back first light of dawn mm-hmm. to report this news." That would have been understandable and still would have connoted excitement and and weightiness. Yeah. But no, they couldn't even do that. They said, "We have to go now." And I think that gives us a clue. It gives us a picture about how the gospel, when we really experience it changing us, it compels us to act. We must act. And so they had to get up. They could not sit still with this joyous news. The gospel is called good news for a reason. Mm-hmm. They had to go report this because they could not sit still. And I think that's what the gospel really does. When we really understand it, when it really changes us, it compels us to act. We must act. We cannot sit still. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tell people, you know, when I, I have three children um, when we learned we were pregnant all three times, you did not have to twist my arm to go share that news. No. We, we like sharing good news. It compels yeah. us to act. We have to do something. You don't have to go to a new father and say, go tell somebody. Right. Well, it's, this, it's even more that way, more true about the gospel. When we understand it, it will compel us to act. So if somebody is passive, I would argue it's because they have not really understood the gospel or have not been changed by it. Mm. That's challenging right there. I mean, how do you, so how do you find the balance? Is there, or is, is balance even the right word? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say balance. I think, again, it goes back to motivation. Yeah. That we always have to be fighting to make sure that we are acting. Because, again, we can lapse into moralism. We can be, yep. that's the, the slant of our hearts. And so we have to be careful about not being good gospel-centered Christians by our behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, we can be guilty of that at the same time. So it's it's always checking what's my motivation behind this. Right. Why am I doing what am I doing? Right. What I'm doing. Absolutely. And so part of that too means that we um, that we incorporate our believing children 
into the body of the church. Yes. In the sense that they have responsibilities. Yep. If they are if they are in Christ, they're not simply they're not simply kids to be ministered to. They are part of they are part of the ministry of the church. Yep. And so how do we how do we encourage that? Well, I think what we need to as you just said rightly, I I don't see in scripture anywhere where it parses the church of today and the church of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often hear people say that with the best of intentions, that kids are the church of tomorrow. I understand what they're saying, but it, it's bad theology. Um, I see Scripture saying there's one church. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is the, the body of Christ. If, mm-hmm. you're re, if you're regenerate, you're part of that church, no matter what age you are, no matter how much, much melanin you have in your skin, uh, no matter what language you speak, uh, you're part of one church, one beautiful body, one beautifully diverse body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So I think what we have to keep in mind here is when we have kids who have trusted in Christ, they are now part of the church. And so the same promises that are spoken over the church are spoken to them mm-hmm. because they're part of that church. And the same calling that is given to the church is given to them because they are part of that church, which means just as we are to live on mission, they ought to as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. And we're going to talk about that in our next episode, um, specifically what does it mean for kids to live on mission. But um, by way of closing us up for today, Brian, um, how about you tell us a little bit about what does it mean to um, develop, um, to, to borrow the language that you use in the book, um, a, a, di- a healthy discipleship pathway for kids? What does that mean? Yeah, so I think what what we want to understand there is that what's the purpose of our discipleship? That again, if it's more, if it's more than just evangelism, if it's more than just seeing a kid trust in Christ, and again, that's critical. So don't I don't mm-hmm. want anybody misunderstand that I'm downplaying that. It's critical, yeah. of course. But I think we have to understand where are we leading them. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of leading with vision, and and you need to know where you're going. What's the what's the bigger win? What's the goal? And so I think for, for kids' leaders to think through certain key stages, so before trusting in Christ, pre-evangelism, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, pre-discipleship, if you want to use that term, how are we putting before them the gospel so that they can see it, so that they might trust in Christ and be saved? Mm-hmm. And then you think about, well, okay, what about the process of trusting in Christ? What does that look like in how we are doing ministry? Are we explaining to kids, and this is a big thing, what that really means. It's not just fire insurance. Mm-hmm. It's not, hey, kids, do you want to be in hell for eternity? If not, you better trust in Christ. No, 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 no. The scriptures give a very different picture of what it means to trust in Christ, including following him, including dying to yourself, mm-hmm. picking up your cross and so forth. And so we just have to be honest with kids and say, look, this is this is really what's at stake here. Yeah. And then... It's a matter of what are the, some of the first acts of obedience, such as as baptism. As a kid's ministry, are we helping kids understand what baptism is about, that it's not part of salvation, it flows from salvation as an act of obedience, What it, why it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, It's not optional. It's something that we should be doing, but it's not essential for salvation. Helping them understand that, helping them understand what the Lord's Supper is, what's a picture of, um, and then continuing on, um, how do we live in light of this gospel? And again, what we've talked about 
to a great deal in this podcast and many others of what does it look like um, to let the gospel um, change you to live in grace? How does sin impact us as believers? So just thinking through this this pathway of of how are we going to help kids understand this? Yeah. yeah, great. Well, Brian, that's really, really helpful. Um, listeners, I hope uh, you have found today's conversation um, around the big ideas of, of gospel-centered kids ministry super helpful and super encouraging. Just as a reminder, you can get a copy of this book um, wherever books are, wherever you buy your books, um, including your local Lifeway store. Um, so we'd encourage you to, to to check that out, grab a copy, and um, if you are at an event where we are and, and happen to grab one, maybe Brian will even awkwardly sign it for you. I, it, I would. It would be. It's awkward. It is. It, it is. is. So, um, but he'll still do it. Um, and. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, if you've got a question um, question or a topic you'd like us to uh, answer or discuss on the on the podcast, uh, shoot us a line at thegospelproject at lifeway.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can, and then, um, of course, if you'd be so kind as to leave a honest and honest and helpful review at uh, at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, um, that would be amazing because that helps more people more people find the show. Um, so until next time, we will talk to you later um, as we continue this conversation with Gospel Centered Mission. Thanks for listening to the Hero of the Story presented by the Gospel Project a family of resources revealing how all scripture gives testimony to Jesus. Learn more at gospelproject.com.